0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Beautiful Mind Game podcast with myself, Millie, and of course Hams from Friday Night Counter Attack. Today, how are you, Hams?
1: Today I'm very good, thank you. I had a really long day yesterday, and it was just nice to come back and have an early type of recording for this podcast as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what kind of guests we have on today. And this is a guest that once again, Millie. You haven't told me anything about and you said, you know what, just come on to this one, enjoy what we have because it's a very different topic completely. And you told me before that it has nothing really to do with sports, but it's about business, this one, isn't it? Is that correct?
0: It is indeed. It is indeed. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. Um, Yeah, so on the podcast today, we have someone completely different, but an amazing guest, like always. Um, So it should be really, really good. It is businessy. It is entrepreneurial. It is sporty. Let's add that one in. He is, is businessy. Um, a business term. It is now.
1: It is now. It is now. We've, we'll we've, go we've, with it.
0: We've trademarked it. We have. This that could be podcast. the name. Of,
1: that can, yeah, the businessy podcast. We could call that. This episode is businessy podcast by and then the guest's name as well, which I will let you introduce because this will be fun for us.
0: Okay. Okay. Let me start that again. Then go for okay, it. So, okay. So today on the beautiful mind game podcast, we have a businessy guest with a businessy theme I think I'm overdoing it now anyway on the podcast <laughs> today we have to welcome Omar Ghanem hi Omar how are you doing and what have you done today have you had a good day
2: hey guys thanks for having me um yeah not too bad uh weather was, was quite terrible actually in Dubai um so it was a bit foggy not not the nicest but I think uh other than that pretty pretty chill relaxed day uh, nothing to complain about what about you guys
0: brilliant yeah oh brilliant here to be fair in manchester where i am it's been really sunny again which is unheard of as oh my you might know and hams definitely knows (laughs) but yeah i mean we're all about the rain here so nice surprise and surprising that it's been a bit foggy in dubai as well yeah
2: i don't know what kind of fog this is though because it's not like the oh it's about to rain one it's just like the oh this might be the end of times one but yeah
0: (laughs) interesting interesting and from what i remember in dubai it is extremely hot especially at this time of year it's becoming Actually, extremely
2: hot funny enough not yet to be honest um oh, wow. it's, it's, it's it's quite it's quite pleasant uh i know it's gonna I'm, I'm gonna eat my words soon but it's quite pleasant for may at least uh, i think it gets worse june july august onwards but yeah we're, we're enjoying yeah. it as much as possible
0: brilliant no brilliant yeah i remember in dubai we used to go to the beach in winter And then we used to just hide away in the house in summer because it was that hot. You could not go outside. But in winter, beach was, was, we're all for it. Like, it was amazing. I'm
1: I'm of the the minority. I'm of the minority that actually went to Dubai in the summer where all the tourists were by the pool and inside. And there's like me and my cousins just lounging around on the beach because we were like, oh yeah, it's boiling hot. But got to make the most of an empty beach in Dubai, don't we? Because no one really wants to go out besides the locals. So we're like, yeah, let's, let's have fun done that twice now which has been really good fun as well but um i'm, I'm one for all types of weather I can, I can brave it in the heat brave it in the cold so if there's a sandstorm coming in the Omar, hopefully hopefully um will get through it as well because i know you said fog <laughs> but i'm thinking more of like fast and furious seven than there's like a sandstorm so mission impossible <laughs> four mission impossible four that was when the sandstorm came which is which is the case but no i'm looking forward so, to see how, how the weather so progresses there, in dubai as well
0: if there is a sandstorm in dubai Everyone listening, you'll just see hams in the middle of Dubai. Nobody else just happens there in the sandstorm, stand
2: right? That's,
1: that's when we're trying to record part two of his podcast with Omar, when we're actually trying to get okay. in person as well. So, yeah, we are there for reasons if you see us in Dubai, which would be good stuff. But no,
2: okay,
1: I'm looking forward to seeing what Omar's got in store for us today. I'm re- really looking forward to learning more from different elements as well. So this will be really good. So, Millie, take it away.
0: So, Omar, let's get back to it. I'm going to give you a little intro now. This is what I know about you. You are the CEO and co-founder of this amazing business. It is called ULight, right? You're an entrepreneur with such an articulate business mind. Not only that, you're a public speaker and you have spoke at TED Talks, you have spoke at the United Nations, you spoke at the Hulk Prize and so many other places, and your knowledge is so vast. You're, you have areas like graphic design, block t- blockchain, uh, social media, and of course football. you like we said you are a united supporter, which is for me a little bit not the best thing at being a city fan, but we'll let that slide. We'll let that slide with all the other things we'll let that slide. So oh my, with all that going on tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Give us a little bit of introduction, because that is incredible. Like, where do we begin?
2: That's probably one of the the best intros I've ever gotten in my life. I might have to save that for later and use it um, to introduce myself. No, I think um, you're too kind, Millie. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much spent most of my life here in Dubai. um, Didn't really intend to be an entrepreneur or anything like that. So, you know, don't believe people that just tell you you're born one. Um, Essentially kind of grew into it purely because of the way life played out. Um, I did, you know, go to university, study marketing, wanted to, you know, work with cool brands. Obviously, I'm a football fan, so I was looking at the Nikes and, you know, the Adidas and things like that. Um, how I ended up with a startup that's trying to help end energy poverty is is a very funny story. And actually, the UK, where you guys are currently based at, um, has a role to play in that. So essentially, in my last year of university, there was a competition called the Halt Prize, um, which you kind of slightly mentioned. Essentially, it invites entrepreneurs, um, I mean, not really entrepreneurs at that stage, right? Where you're just a student, it invites uh, students from universities from across the world to come together and, and come up with solutions for real world problems. Um, back in 2018, at the time, the problem was um, essentially energy. So you had to use energy to impact the lives of 10 million people. And so we started kind of digging in and seeing what's, you know, what's a root problem, what's, what's an issue that we have to fix, what's going on uh, around the world. Uh, obviously, I think we're spoiled. It's fair to say that, you know, anyone that grew up here uh, in a developed or even a, a, like a developing country is spoiled when you look at kind of the underdeveloped areas of the world. So we're trying to really understand and we realized that a big, big problem that's not talked about enough is light. Um, as simple as it sounds. Uh, a lot of people talk about energy and this and that, and you know, let's get solar in, let's get wind, blah, blah, blah. But if you really like break it down, it's just lack of access to light changes everything, essentially. So kids are dropping out of schools. You've got like some of the highest dropout rates. And not like, oh yeah, I'm dropping out because Bill Gates dropped out and was successful. It's like, I'm dropping out because I can't do my homework, right? It's a completely different dynamic. Um, you've got people whose lives essentially end um, around like what, 5, 6 p.m. Imagine if I told you like, you have a 24 hour day, but I could make it 26. Like you would pay anything for that, right? Like, like just adding two extra hours in your life sounds like a crazy idea. But for them, it's like life ends at six. Um, You've got to pack everything, go back home at home. It's not even like uh, well lit or anything like that. So you've got complete darkness. Can't really like spend time with the family. Can't work, can't do anything. So it was just a lot of like negative consequences. Uh, And so we realized that we had to do something about it. Something that was also like simple and affordable. So we didn't go like the, high-tech extra, like, uh, route, which is typically, you know, solar, AI this, AI that, that kind of stuff. We kind of went, like, really, 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 really basic and simple. Um, So, we essentially created uh, a product that allowed you to convert human power to electrical energy. So, essentially, you just move a handle or you, you know, move, like just move a a pedal on a bike and that generates energy. And then that energy is stored in a battery. And then you could use that as electricity, um, which you can then use to light up the product. So very simple, very kind of basic idea. But the reason I say the UK was part of this is essentially the only reason I even joined the Holt Prize was the accelerator program happened in the UK. And at the time I had never been to Old Trafford. So (laughs) I was, I was really keen in my head. It was like, if I can get as far as the final like 40 teams because essentially you go from like i think it was 100 to 200 um from across the world to like the final regional teams to the final 40 teams that go to the accelerator program and spend six weeks to then the final six teams that pitch at the united nations and i just wanted to get to like the top 40 to be honest um but what i, what I didn't realize was that the journey was gonna change my perspective on life and that's where kind of you know the story gets a bit crazy i come back to dubai i don't really want to you know go to nike or adidas anymore um i actually start doing this thing with my friends it just becomes like a real thing we start working with dubai expo um and yeah i mean i'm i'm proud to say that so far we've we've changed the lives of 12,000 people uh in three different countries nigeria kenya and lebanon um you know we don't we don't take those numbers lightly at all they're not just numbers they're actual people their actual lives so yeah that's a, a bit of, about kind of my journey um there's bits and pieces here and there that maybe we can we can touch on later in the conversation but that, I think that serves the intro of how I ended up where I am today
0: um,
1: no. go on Hams no I was gonna say the fact that Millie introduced you the way that you did a new reciprocated by selling such an amazing story of your life and you summarized it really well as well there's probably so much more that we still have to learn from you as well like you said we can get back to it later in the podcast and I thought what 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 I really liked is the fact that a lot of people out here they'll always put facts and figures on and then they'll just move on from it but the fact that you've actually touched these people's lives in three different nations and two different continents as well it is incredible how you've worked through it as well but what I wanted to kind of know and hopefully our listeners can kind of pick up a thing or two from UMR in this one as well is what kind of drove you to start this kind of um, challenge? Cause it's, it's a really big challenge to actually go from into a, an energy source that like you said, isn't really picked upon as much as a lot of other companies or a lot of distributors as well in terms of energy. So how did you kind of figure out your first few steps before actually getting into really understanding it a bit more? Did you have to study for it? Did you have to, network with different people to understand um how you're going to get through with you like how did it kind of work for you omar
2: yeah that's a good question i would say a bit of everything essentially you have to really like understand um, so we, we did a lot of reading for sure we tried to see why were the other solutions not working because the thing is like i think from the outside looking in you think like, oh, Africa, there's a lot of sun. So therefore, solar power must work like 100%. Like that just makes sense on paper. But then when you start digging in, you realize that like governments and and countries were essentially deploying like a lot of resources into solar projects, but they were constantly failing either because A, they were not maintained or B, because they were just abandoned or the conditions were just like too tragic to even continue the project. And so you'll see pictures of like houses with solar panels on top, that just don't work anymore or you'll see like cables that are cut you'll see like houses that are supposed to have solar panels on on top but they got stolen like there's just so many different factors because you're dealing with such like fragmented markets that are very vulnerable and obviously very like underserved so like stuff like um you know road infrastructure and safety and security and like that doesn't exist in that world right so there are so many different factors and i think a big part of it is the intentions behind it like What we found, especially as we started working and and we were getting contacted by a lot of people is um, if this happens because it's like a a government party running for elections and wants to win votes, typically it fails because as soon as they either win or don't win, they abandon the projects. Um, Whereas if it comes from like a private company, from an entity that is just like seeking to do good or is is trying to actually make this thing work, there's actual like follow up on it, right? Um, So that was kind of the, the base foundation what we had to continue doing though is like actually go on the ground and ask questions to the people because and you know this is something a lot of uh, startup founders uh, tend to kind of fall in the trap of falling in love with their product or service where you build something and you kind of like are just so infatuated by how you've accomplished it. And obviously your friends and family are hyping you up and they're like, wow, it's amazing. It's like the next best thing, blah, blah, blah. But then you have to really like humble yourself and realize that it's not about you. It's about, you know, your end customer. Um, So just to give you an idea, like we built something that we were super proud of. Essentially one minute of cranking would give you around 45 minutes of light. So that was like a, a really amazing ratio that was unseen in the market for something so basic and everyone was like wow this, this is crazy right but the issue was the product was a bit bulky because like you needed a lot of you know cogs and screws and things uh, in in kind of the entire body of it to make that happen um so when we went on the ground and we asked questions the customer the end user the people were trying to you know change their lives were telling us that you know i'd rather pay less and get less than pay more to get more and that was kind of a humbling experience because we realized, well, all that time that we spent um, could have been shortened had we just like spoke spoken to them first, essentially. Right. But then obviously we took that into consideration. We kind of trimmed it down, optimized the design, um, made it a lot smaller, a lot cheaper. And that got us into a product that essentially is still you know, doing the job. One minute gives you 10 minutes of light, but it's kind of like almost half the price at the moment. So we were able to kind of offer it. Um, to a lot more users. And I think overall, like just to touch on on the main point of the question, it's not really like a you you study something and it's over it's it's like a constant learning uh thing where you're just constantly learning from feedback you're constantly looking out for what different people are doing what different you know whether it's competitors or not like honestly i don't i don't see anyone in the market as a competition not because i'm being arrogant but like if anyone genuinely wants to enter any of the markets we're in and provide light to these people like please be my guest like i'll connect you personally uh because it's part of the mission like essentially what we're trying to do is provide light to as many people as possible. The problem is huge. It's 1.2 billion people that don't have access to reliable electricity worldwide. Obviously, we can't do it ourselves. And so I, I always used to get this question from like investors and, you know, in pitch competitions and stuff. It's like, how are you different from this guy and that guy? And what if this big company decides to enter? And it's always like, this is such a big challenge that I really don't care if more people enter. On the contrary, I would love to collaborate with projects like I would love to get, you know, someone that's doing solar to get into the villages that we're in. I would love to get into the villages there. in. like, I think it's just a completely different dynamic and a completely different space. And it's something that is very refreshing because my idea of entrepreneurship and essentially doing good in the world was that I had to make a lot of money, get really rich and then donate, which is essentially what you see. Um, like people just writing off checks because they made enough money to do that. But with the concept of like a social enterprise, it's very tied in. Like you only make profit if you actually have impact, and you only have impact if you make profit. Like it doesn't work without the other, right? Like they both are just intertwined. So the more units that we sell, the more money we're making, but essentially the more impact we have, and vice versa. Like we cannot sell something, make money, and not have impact. So it's kind of, it's just like a, a very interesting business model that, you know, I wasn't, Um, very kind of aware of at the time, but obviously it grew on me. And then it's just the research. Obviously the networking comes a bit later into the stages where you're talking to uh, potential investors, potential distributors, uh, people that can connect you on the ground. Because I mean, like a couple of guys that, lived in dubai know nothing about nigeria right so you needed like someone on the ground to get started you need the people that understood the market you need the people that spoke some of the languages Um, we went to kenya as well obviously lebanon is a bit easy because arabic and that was a, a big kind of partnership and one of the proudest moments that we had but um i think in the beginning it was really really difficult and even like the the whole process of just sending someone to nigeria a country they've never been to particularly not even like lagos or abuja like the capitals no like it was just go to a village somewhere and like live in one of those huts to try and actually reach those people I think it was just a overall like a humbling experience but definitely one that we'll never forget
1: yeah and that's just literally something that again Millie and I we can relate to it as well in terms of when you talk about mental health and um, again not on the scale of light and actually saving people but but from what we can do from our side is when people come and talk to us about ah, there's another mental health podcast or a page that does it on social media and they're like what do you think of this and why are you different we're just kind of there like well, we can be different because we're all different, but our end goal is to actually help people. It's not to beat one and one to be superior to the other. And just like with you, with what you were doing there, yes, it can be considered a business. Yes, you can be considered an entrepreneur, but you're actually there to, at the end of the day, help people and gaining experience from different people at the same time from learning from different companies could have strengthened your business and could actually strengthen other people's way of actually helping people at the end, making that 20,000 into 40,000. By next year or by the next five years and something like that as well making the three countries into six countries or into nine countries and that's something that that's really opened my eyes in terms of how big the problem really is you said what was it 1.2 billion or or million yep. was it
2: 1.2 billion with a b yep
1: 1.2 billion with a b and that's that's a huge difference to 1.2 million with an m because again the the vast contrast is ridiculous on that as well but Uh, Omar, thank you very much for going through that as well. That was really good um, to hear your point of view on that. Millie, I just wanted to get your first thoughts on really how Omar's Omar's kind of um, spoke about you, light and how it's kind of helped. How does that kind of make you feel to know that there are people out there who aren't really talking about, oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm an amazing entrepreneur, but I'm actually here to try and help save people and actually help people, everyday people at the end of the day as well. What are your first thoughts on that, Millie?
0: It's incredible to hear the story. I mean, at such a young age, you know, we're in, we're all in our 20s still, but it's incredible to hear that someone's actually there to help others beyond their close circle. Like, we've spoken a lot about, um, like, self-development. Self-development is really important. We've spoken a lot about relationships with our close friends, our close family, uh, even in, within our country. But then to go beyond that and to go internationally and help others that are less fortunate than ourselves. It's really an inspiration, Omar, honestly. Um, and it's really great work that you've done and you are continuing to do. Um, and hopefully, like, over the years to come, over the weeks, months, years to come, we'll see, we'll keep seeing all these brilliant things. And like Ham said, that number will grow. The, the amount of countries will grow. Um, and yeah, the sky's the limit, really, for you. It's incredible. Omar, I have a question for you about you personally you spoke about some of the challenges you faced um, when you were starting up and in terms of business right um, the challenges you faced um, starting basically starting it up I wanted to know what were the personal challenges for you did you find it hard to kind of transition from a student at university and all of a sudden you're in the limelight you're in the thick of the business, you're leading people. How was that transition for you? Um, And yeah, basically what did you feel when you was doing
2: that? Yeah. um, That's that's a good question. Um, I think it's, it's definitely like a, you know, an experience that makes you grow a lot faster than you expected. I think at the time, like right before we, we even got into the whole competition, my intentions post graduation were pretty simple and straightforward. Like I just wanted to find a really fun, exciting uh, company that I wanted to tell the story of. So essentially, like I always just loved like stories. I I'm a I still believe that you know storytelling is probably one of the most um, incredible ways and, and incredible forms of communication that we have as humans. Um, it's all about you know storytelling person to person like even if you go all the way back decades and centuries ago where our ancestors were sitting around fires telling stories. but essentially what I wanted to do was tell stories of great companies. Um, I didn't really plan to tell my own story or kind of the, the story of my own company but it was a challenge because there's a lot of uncertainty around it. I think especially if it's your first time doing something like this and you don't really have people around you that have done it Um, necessarily so that's why it was kind of really key to get a lot of people around us in our network that were exposed to this prior because we were lost like 90% of the time if not more Um, and it was always the question of you know but I now graduated and I need a source of income to you know financially sustain myself and support the family because this is kind of like what you've been doing all of this for right like you go through high school, university and now it's like okay now you get a job and you help the family but it's like if you're about to get into a startup, particularly something that was still so early stage that still had like so much ambiguity around. um, It was, it was a very big question. And I mean, a question that I think I got an answer for quite quick as well, because I did end up working in a, in an FMCG company uh, L'Oreal at the time. And it was just like for the sole purpose of getting it on my CV and seeing if, I was going to change my mind or if if I just wanted to, like, you know, let ULight quiet down or whatever. Um, And I quickly realized, I think like a month and a half into it, that I wanted to put way more effort into ULight than what I was doing at the time. And it was no longer about like telling the stories of big brands. It was like telling stories that meant something. Uh, at least to me, that's not to say that, you know, any of the big brands or the corporates out there don't have stories that are good enough to tell, but it was like a completely different dynamic because this felt like your, your child, right? Like you've built this yourself. Um, I think the turning point was the first time we saw someone's reaction to the product. Um, like you, you, just, you could just like never go back from that point onwards. Like once you've seen what your work has done, it almost feels like a responsibility, um, which I think can be daunting for sure. And you can almost feel like, Ugh, like why did I get myself into this at the very beginning like my life could have been so much easier if I just looked the other way or if I didn't see that banner or poster um, but I think the reward is obviously worth like everything once you kind of see the the feedback that you get once you see that you've changed people's lives we also do like questionnaires to track um, what happened in terms of impact and every time we kind of dig in even if it's like a one percent increase like if someone tells us that, Um, there's a 1% increase in the number of girls that stayed in school this time, uh, this semester, because they now have access to light. It's like, it means a lot because that 1% is like huge, right? So I think it was really challenging, um, both professionally and mentally. Um, I think a lot of us took a lot of very difficult decisions. I think a lot of us lived in a lot of kind of vagueness and uh, uncertainty where we just didn't know, like, should we say yes to this job? Should we say no to that job? And I remember even being in interviews. Uh, funny enough, we talked about Nike earlier. I remember being in interviews in some of these companies and having the question thrown at me, which was, you now have a startup. So what's your focus going to be like? And what are you trying to do? And will it be us or them? And that kind of you know scenario. And the answer was always very risky because, you know, you say the wrong thing and maybe you burn that bridge or maybe that opportunity never comes around again, but you just had to live with that decision and the consequences of those decisions. I think we all did relatively well for ourselves. I think you ended up, you know, living up to the expectations that we had at the time as well. Uh, I still think it has a lot of potential for sure, but uh, yeah, for sure. A lot of um, I would say challenges, And one of the big ones for sure is the imposter syndrome that a lot of people talk about, but I still don't think is talked about enough because at that point in time, like you have to remember, we were what, like 21, I think, Um, like we know nothing. And so I was getting invited to like TED talks. I was getting invited to like speak like in different countries, like I was going to, to countries for the first time. And in my head, I was like, but all I've accomplished is essentially like I've put together a business plan. I've identified a key target market. I've went on the ground and did my research and now I'm about to start manufacturing. Does that mean that I'm entitled to like teach you or educate you? Um, And it's something that you just have to grow into it knowing that like even wherever you are, um, however little you think, you know, you're still somewhere that someone else is not in, or I mean, just just to (laughs) make that sound a bit easier, you're, you're somewhere that someone else might be aspiring to be in the sense of like maybe someone is trying to get those first steps and I think that essentially you just have to kind of make your peace with and you just have to kind of really try believing in yourself a bit more um but yeah for sure I think Millie you you touched on something that I don't really talk about much because not many people talk about this stuff um it's always like the, the the financial freedom and the ability to do whatever you want and the not having a boss and like all that stuff is what's like you know, glorified, but not many people talk about like, what comes with it, um, and kind of the burdens that come with it.
0: Definitely. And I think Hams will agree as well, that all that stuff you've just mentioned, the financial freedom and things like that, that all stems from your self belief. Like essentially, it all comes from you, and what you think, and then what you think determines what you do. And then that determines all the rest of it. And that's what we're big on. We have Touched on the imposter syndrome before, haven't we, Hams?
1: We didn't go into. We touched on the imposter syndrome. We have touched on the one percent you mentioned in terms of even if the one percent of girls are having the light on. We we talk about the one percent every single episode, which is great, and um, it's just the fact that it's it's so relatable as well. You made something where for me, who's not very business savvy, my dad's very business savvy, but him and I wouldn't really have a conversation about business because we just don't have that kind of uh, chemistry when I'm listening to him talk about business, but. When you can relate it in that way as well, and when my dad ended up relating it in a different way as well, just like you do as well, to relate it to everyday kind of people, like you said, uh, Omar, it makes it a lot easier to kind of learn why people want to listen to you in TED Talks, which, you, which we will get to, by the way, because I need to hear about you actually speaking in the TED Talk. But it gets you get it in terms of the fact that you you did the necessary steps possible. It's what Business 101 really is, doing your market research, doing your planning properly, preparing for how you can make a difference going into this new era of business, into the new market going forward as well. Um, That's kind of how I see it from what you just said, Minnie. as well. I think you kind of agree with me, I would say.
0: Um, Yeah, definitely. 100% agree with you. Um, I think it's really important that we hear these types of things as well, because like you said, for me personally, I'm not the most business-minded. So it's very nice to hear something like that that can be um implemented into everyday life I guess um once upon a time I was an aspiring entrepreneur but it didn't you, quite you, work you out st-
1: you still are with the beautiful mind game podcast you never know where it of could course. take us having Omar as a as a former podcast host if I remember correctly Omar he wants to a podcast as well so that's one thing I do know about you besides the TED Talks Omar you, you hosted a podcast and you've done the TED Talks but Um, yeah just before we move on any further Omar I wanted to ask you just about those two things if we could Um, who did you do the TED talk to where did you do it and what was the main topic about it because I'd love to know more about it I'm sure our listeners we don't get TED talk um, speakers every week so this was quite fun for me to hear about it as well and then afterwards I'll ask you about your podcast that you've done previously as well Omar if that's okay
2: sure sure Um, I mean that one was a lot of fun I would say because um, it was actually back in my own high school that I grew up in. Um, they were essentially putting the event together. They wanted to host it. Was this in it Dubai, was... sorry? Yeah, it was still in Dubai. Um, so it was in the Westminster School Dubai, essentially. And okay. the the trick here was I was meant to go back to, like, get glorified and stuff, um, which I I really don't like. I mean, Millie gave me a, a great intro, but, you know, I'm not a fan of, like, I don't like talking about myself much. And so to, like, speak about myself for eight minutes was just, like, absurd um, and I had to kind of pick something that I was comfortable doing. And so they wanted to like have me share the whole like United Nations thing, like speaking, meeting, you know, former President Bill Clinton, like all that stuff. Um, but what I really wanted to get to was like how I got there, essentially, like what were the steps and how I was once sitting in the same seats that they were all sitting in. I wore the exact same uniform with the exact same tie with the exact same shoes, like all of that stuff. Um, and so I, I chose the topic to be more about like the, the fear of failure. Um, I think that was the title if I'm not mistaken and the, the whole kind of premise of it was had I not made all the mistakes that I made in high school and middle school um, and then university I essentially would have never reached the United Nations uh, speech that I did and as much as they wanted to put that picture up on the screen where it's just like me speaking in the UN in the back and stuff like that it was like yeah but you need to realize like I'm there because I bunked physics class I ran away from English I chose to Uh, speak on stage in in assemblies and events, I chose to kind of make the decisions that I made in my life. Um, And that's exactly why I'm here. And it was kind of like really just diving into almost like building up every single phase of my life and then like showing them the exact point where I failed at something um because i remember i started off by asking like how many people here want to succeed and everyone put their hands up and then i was like how many want to fail and only like the teachers and and like the supervisors put their hands up because you know you'd you'd assume now okay a maturity you understand where i'm going with this but like none of the kids wanted to right like they all just put their hands down and so it was kind of a conversation around well if you don't fail you're never actually going to succeed and it's it's the fear of failure that's going to cripple you and if you're constantly afraid of failure then you never try new things and had i never tried anything new i probably would have never got into business because i studied science in high school so i just did like physics chemistry i was doing i mean you guys would know this i was doing o-levels and as levels essentially so it was a british curriculum school um and so all my like uh, subjects were just science and it was only towards like the end of high school that i was like "Mm, i don't really like this i like talking more i like creating more i like making stuff building stuff and so let me let me switch physics for business so i essentially dropped my physics as level for business um and had i not made that decision. I never get into marketing. I never go into university. I never study what I study. I never find out about the hot prize. I never start U I never go to the United Nations. It was kind of like it was me drawing that out for them and then saying, okay, so now wherever you are, like what are you afraid of failing in? Um and you should like just fail as fast as I think the the quote that I put in was what was it? Fall, fall forward, fall fast, fall often, something like that.
1: You did did you ever wonder what the secret to success is? Believe it or not, it's failure, your fear of failing is the there you go yeah yeah yeah.
2: quite a number of years ago so i don't remember the exact script or whatever but yeah it was pretty much it and i think it it got a a good reception a lot of people kind of resonated with it and that was the whole point like i wasn't trying to go there and flex the fact that yeah i went to the United nations like that's not the point um the point was if you start doing stuff that you're afraid of failing and you probably can come back in a couple of years and you know dwarf the achievements that i've uh, gotten to and that was kind of the whole premise of it um but yeah it was i think it was it was really fun to have that in my in my high school because i think it's kind of like full circle so while everyone else was just listening in in my head it was like wow like nostalgia like look where where we started how far we've come um like that whole kind of comeback full circle thing was just really crazy at the time
1: yeah for anyone listening and they want to watch the full video we'll leave it in the description below but it's the ted topic uh, is called how i made six figures at 22 and It's from 2019 and it's one and this one with omar uh, ganem as a as a TED speaker as well so we'll leave that in the description below but Millie before we move on to me asking omar not just about uh, manchester united and how bad they've been recently so we can we can mourn our pain together and mostly about his podcast as well that he he previously did as well i wanted to know if you can kind of relate to the whole full circle aspect that um, Omar went through when he went back to his school and he actually got to deliver in terms of how you got to go back to Blackburn after training with them as a younger player and then now you're you're at the time speaking you played with them the last season as well can you kind of relate to the fact that you get a lot of closure and you can understand a bit more about yourself by going back to a, a similar place and really reminiscing in how you were once five, six years ago compared to now like Omar said
0: yeah, I mean, what a great link, Hams. <laughs> Brilliant link. Um, I didn't even think of it myself. Um, no, definitely. I mean, this year I have come back to Blackburn after six years or more of being away. Um and we train at the same place. We don't play at the same place, however, I have played there before. And definitely when I walked into the training centre the first time, there was that sense of nostalgia. The fact that I Left home and me leaving home was the start of me, um, kind of achieving going for my goals and achieving what I wanted to, but also with a lot of failure involved. Like it wasn't a straight journey, it was left, then right, then up, then down. There were so many different paths I took during those six, seven years I was away. So to come back finally back in Manchester, back home, back at Blackburn. Definitely there was a lot of nostalgia and kind of me being very content with where I was, which is something that was kind of up and down throughout that time away. And finally, I've come back and I'm very content to look back and think, yeah, this is what I did. Sometimes it wasn't great. Sometimes it was, but I did it. And now I'm here to ready to move on to the next journey, wherever that may be. But yeah, amazing link hands, honestly,
1: great stuff. <laughs> Don't worry. We always pull surprises on this podcast and that was a surprise for the episode today, uh, which is really good as well. But uh, Omar, back to you. I wanted to learn more about how you kind of started a podcast because obviously you're on a podcast talking to uh, Millie and myself in terms of how we want to develop it going forward as well. What was it like developing a podcast in Dubai and uh, what was it mostly about? And realistically speaking, um is there a way that you're going to continue going forward? Because I know you were really busy with it, but we haven't seen any that many recent episodes with it. I just wanted to know a bit more about what was it called? Mini the Third Culture Podcast was it um, that it was? That that was the name of your podcast, wasn't it, Omar? Sorry.
2: Yep. Yep. Um, again, another funny story that I don't talk about much. But again, that was that was completely spontaneous. To be honest, I remember at the time. It was me and a couple of my friends who, you know, ended up being my co-hosts. Uh, I think we were in some sheesh or somewhere in Dubai. And we were having like this very intense conversation. I don't even remember the topic at the time, but we kind of just agreed to disagree towards the end. We, we, You know, you're always like super confident in your own opinion and things like that. But we were just like content with having that discussion and, and sharing our perspectives. And then I, I don't remember who exactly, was. someone asked like, you know, if we recorded this, it would be really entertaining for people because it was a bit like... I think it was a bit funny the way we kind of interacted with one another just because we were friends like for quite a couple of years and and we had like inside jokes, but we were also like very, you know, snarky with our comments and things like that. And so we we realized, okay, cool. If we start a podcast, what do we talk about? And it was like, well, what's the one thing that kind of unites us or is common uh, amongst all of us? Because essentially, I mean, I was an Egyptian that grew up in Dubai. Uh, Frank at the time was Sudanese that moved to Dubai towards the later stages of his life. Terry was uh, from Zimbabwe, moved to Dubai. Uh, Cheyenne was Iranian, born, I think, and raised in Dubai. So it was like completely different backgrounds. All of us studied different things. All of us were working completely different jobs. And it was like, what's the one thing we could talk about? And the topic of like third culture was probably the one thing that united us in the sense of we all didn't really know what home was in the sense that we didn't know what we wanted to call home. Was it um, Dubai because we grew up here? But then there's always that sense of like, I'm just a, an expat slash foreigner. Um, maybe one day I end up going back to my country and so on. Was it home that, you know, the country you are from, the, the country on your passport? But again, that was a question of, well, I haven't been to Egypt in like 10 years. So am I really calling that home, right? Um, so that was the challenge. And we realized, you know, as we were talking about it, that obviously it's not just us that go through this. Um, there's a lot of people that can relate. Pretty much everyone in Dubai essentially could relate. Uh, so we really just wanted to have, you know, a podcast that was centered around those topics and like how you feel about identity crisis. And when someone asks you that question, that was kind of the, the initial premise. Like when someone asks, where are you from? Like, what's your answer? Because um, no one ever has like a, an easy answer for that. Right. But we Unless then said like to-
1: English and they were born in England and they've got English for like seven, eight generations. But
2: yeah, that's the only kind yeah. of view. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I've
1: got Irish in my family or I'm Portuguese uh, by descent, that type of thing. But um, exactly. Sorry to interrupt there, Omar. I just wanted to ask you, what is identity crisis to you? Because for me, it's not—it's never really something I've identified with in terms of how you kind of discovered in terms of... Well, for me, for example, who's um, a British Indian man living in England, I've always identified myself as a British Asian um, man. But whenever says, says, whenever says, whenever someone says, where's home for you, um, I'll have like a really cheesy answer and be like, oh yeah, my mum's house is my, is, my, is my home for me. Even if I'm living by myself or... When my wife at the moment, I would say, oh, yeah, my mom's house is home for me. So I'll say that. But what is identity crisis in terms of like nationality for you, Omar? Just so I can yeah, But
2: Yeah, but what if your mom's house was was not what your mom considered home? It's kind of the question yeah. there, right? Like, what if your mom's house is in the UK, but your mom thinks that her home is back in India, for example? Um. So then where do you feel like you're from? It was just a question of like for me, mm. for example, I'll just use my myself as an example here. I'm originally Egyptian but I've only like lived in Egypt for 2 years of my life. I've spent what is it now 20 years in in Dubai and so to me home is here. Like this is where my friends are, this is where the school I went to is. Like this is what I consider home. But then if you really like dig into it, if you ask me where am I where am I from, I'm never going to answer that I'm from Dubai, right? Like I'm not I'm not local, I'm not Emirati. So it's it's always like that that split second where you just stop and you're like well, I'm actually Egyptian, but I've lived most of my life in Dubai. Like that answer, is is always like the the kind of constant battle that you have in the back of your mind. And I think even like add an extra layer of we're we're now so exposed to like the Western world with social media and things like that. That do you even feel like as a culture, you are either a uh, calling Dubai home or b calling Egypt home? When maybe you are attracted to like I don't know the UK for example, because United plays there and you feel like Manchester is home for you because you'd love to live next to the state. Like, it's just so many different questions that kind of really burn up inside you. And we wanted to tackle different topics given that perspective in mind. So we wanted to really bring out like how um, the environment affects the way you think and things like that. And and how, I think some of the topics we touched were like quite sensitive at the time. We Actually, we were a bit, you know, hesitant to put out some of the episodes. Like we talked about racism. We talked about... Um, I remember there was an episode about like hair products because for Black people, you don't have really have like good hair products. And so I remember Frank and Terry were just like, yeah, this is kind of racist when you think about it. Like, why is no one looking out for us? Blah, 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 blah. And for me, it's like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. I just like use shampoo and I've never even thought about anything like this. So it was just a lot of like identity crisis, slash culture clash, slash like homesickness, slash uh, melting pot of, you know, cultures that kind of, really put the whole thing together but we didn't really make it like um topic specific like every episode was random i remember i'm just looking through the instagram feed now as we speak and i can see like the gaming industry value is 136 billion worst batman voice ever video games are for kids should we fear ai are you homesick? like it's so random but at the same time the one thing that united it was the third culture element and to be fair we we gave it a lot of effort at the time i remember when we started it we were like top 15 Worldwide uh, culture and society, or something, um, on on Apple Podcasts. I remember it was super like bootstrapped. We used to <laughs> Millie, you might remember this from from your time here as well. Uh, we used to go to the buy mall. There's an Apple store, and we'd like open all the iPhones and and pull up the podcast on it, and like subscribe and download and, and leave a review and stuff like it was very like bootstrapped like kids trying to you know just share their work and there was nothing ever like monetary about it like we didn't even ever monetize like we made zero from that podcast and the only reason it really died out was which is quite funny because I'm doing this now with you I think at the time we were so used to like sitting around the table just because it was the nature of us as friends like that's all we ever did I told you like it started off in a shisha cafe right so yeah. we were so used to that that when COVID first hit there was like a lot of uncertainty around do we want to do this on zoom? Like what is zoom? Um, how good is zoom? How's the quality on zoom? Like it was a lot of questions back and forth. And then we just realized, okay, you know what, maybe let's wait, let's pause. Um, until we, we all ended up in different places in our lives that we said, okay, maybe let's, you know, let's, let's just close that chapter. Um, I'm a big fan of podcasts. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to hop on, on podcasts. And I think they add a lot of value, especially if, if that's the type of content you consume. But I think, you know, every good story has its ending. <laughs> so I don't know if third culture is ever coming back uh, maybe only if it's needed. Uh, maybe if people are, we do, we do still get comments sometimes where people are like, Oh, I miss this. Uh, I would love to see what your, what's your take on like the pandemic and things like that. Cause I think our last episodes were just like COVID and, what would we do next and things like that. But yeah, essentially like that's the, that's the journey. That's the story of, of how we, you know, built this podcast from the ground up, got it to top 15 and then put it back where we started, I guess.
1: Brilliant. For the record, for everyone who did care what I was going to say, home is where uh, the family is. That's like a saying that we always use in our family, whoever's in the family, we always used it for years in terms of it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Home is where the people are as opposed to where the home is as in like the infrastructure or uh, where it is so it could be wherever they are my mum was living in uh, Canada and I was living in the UK that's kind of the thing that I would that's that's kind of the motto that we kind of use as well um, but no, the third culture podcast is something that a lot of people now kind of do as well almost that's the fact that if you are getting people to try and get you to come back into podcasting whilst there's competition and whilst there are so many podcasts called third culture or the third pod uh, culture podcast and there's quite a few of them get back in it you need to get more people to listen to your version and your, your own opinion as well and that's something that I'd definitely listen to properly as well because like you said with the milestones that you've hit as well and with the diverse um, type of hosts that you've got on the podcast as well that'd be really good to hear I'd really be enjoying to see if you were to come back and make a cameo appearance even on zoom like this as well it would be fantastic and I'd personally really enjoy to hear you
2: It's funny, you're the second person that says this today. Um, The first one asked me to speak, but exclusively about football. So I don't know. I don't know what that means for me, but (laughs) maybe this is a sign.
1: Oh, don't talk about football. Please don't talk about football. Please. (laughs) You'll become like me who every week when you want to talk about Man United on a football podcast, it's just depression and upset and pain and horror and a bit of hope every now and then. If Ronaldo scores a hat trick or he scores a last minute winner... And then what happens? You then lose to Norwich or you then lose to Brighton <laughs> or something like that. And then you, you know what, though? I don't feel box.
2: anything. I don't feel anything anymore, to be fair. I feel like I've I've been... like I don't know. I've become numb to United's results. I remember I was watching the Brighton game and I was like, oh, nice. They've got a third. Like,
0: cool. Yeah, good for them.
2: Like, you do you. Nice. Oh, that's a <laughs> like, I feel like I switched off as soon as we... Probably when we got knocked out of the Champions League. And ever since then, it's just been like, yeah, I'm just waiting for the next manager. I really... I don't know. I think I've lost faith in the like. I've lost faith in the players in general. Um, oh, I, I was yeah. at
1: that game as well. So I was I was not even seen. It. I was just really upset. I was downbeat. It was painful. Were, to were you around. at the stadium? Yeah, yeah. I was at the ground. Ouch. I go to, I go to games uh, quite frequently. Omar at Old Trafford. So I'm just kind of there, like. Yeah, this isn't great because we started season not too badly. We did we did alright under Soul but then... they sold us
2: dreams. They sold us dreams, mate. I remember the Newcastle game when Ronaldo scored two on his first game, and I was like, "Yes, I was winning the, well. like, the league. We're winning the league."
1: I got offered two thousand pounds for that ticket, and every month since that game has been, I was like, "Did I make the right decision? Did I? Did I not?" <laughs> I mean, it's only got us to what six, but it's not Ronaldo's fault at all. Um. But no, realistically speaking, if you were to come back and even talk about football on the third culture podcast with me who does uh, this podcast and obviously Friday Night Counterattack, which is our football and mental health podcast, by all means, Omar, we we could do with another conversation about Manchester United and how bad they have been and how they can rebuild as well. And, the, the secret for me, Omar, is I'll talk about anything but Man United, which is why I enjoy myself on Friday night. Yeah,
2: football is a lot of fun if you're a neutral, huh? I've been watching the league as a neutral. It's very yeah. entertaining. I, I can't wait to watch Liverpool lose it in the last week.
1: It's like, for me, I'm really excited about the Europa League tonight. I'm really excited about watching Rangers and, and Frankfurt today as well, um, <laughs> because Man United aren't in the final, and they they were in the final last season, but they didn't do that great, which wasn't the case, but... um. No, that's just, if anyone wants to follow Omar's podcast as well, the Third Culture podcast, we'll leave the description in the link below as well. Um, And if anyone doesn't really know about what Third Culture is, that's the place to go, I would say, which would be really good. Um, But Omar, I just wanted to thank you for your time today. We are coming near to the end of the podcast, but this is a part of the podcast where Millie has one or two quickfire questions for our guests. So I'll pass it over to Millie because I know she likes to finish with really um, observant questions from what we've had because um, she's the one that takes the notes I improvise on the spot giving away my secrets there as a, as a podcast host but uh, Millie I'll leave it to you to uh, uh, to ask the last two or three questions for Omar and then um, we'll see what we've got.
0: Actually I have a good few questions for you Omar um, I have got some quick fire ones but first I would like to ask you a little bit about technology in general i know you mentioned one of the titles of your one of the podcast episodes is something about ai and the future of ai i wanted to ask you you seem to be interested in like blockchain technology nfts things like that now these are things what i've read a little bit about i don't know much about it but a lot of people have told me they're going to be the future of technology now for someone like me or for someone who don't even know, doesn't even know what blockchain is or what an NFT is, how are these things going to change technology? If, if they are going to change technology, how are they going to change? And why is it important that general people like me, why do we need to know about these things in the future?
2: Nice. OK, so crypto and, and NFT crash course. Um let me try to simplify it really i think everyone everyone has a a false i mean not everyone but like this the skeptics are typically have a false perception of what crypto and nfts are and i think because it's so decentralized people tend to think oh it's all like money laundering and things like that and you forget like there's money laundering happening all around you probably at the kebab shop on the street um essentially what nfts and crypto are in in my humble opinion uh definitely the the kind of the natural evolution of technology and, and the internet and social media. But if I had to start with, let's say NFT, for example, let me give you a very basic uh, example. Your plane ticket, like the ticket that you buy from Emirates or whatever to get on a flight in the future is probably going to be an NFT. Not because it's going to be worth like $100,000 and it's going to have a, a picture of a monkey on it or whatever like your perception of the space is, but because it's going to be a contract. Because essentially what your ticket is, it's a contract. It's just between you and the service provider, which is the airline. And so NFTs are essentially smart contracts where on the blockchain, you can verify the ownership. So I can tell that Millie and only Millie owns the ticket that has the seat number 34D on the airplane that's flying at 12 a.m. from uh, Heathrow, for example, right? Like that's just what an NFT is meant to serve in terms of like a utility, right? The only thing is the first utility or the utility that's getting the most exposure is ART. Um, and that's where it gets a bit ridiculed because even though art is subjective and I mean, I, I think it's absurd for people to call, you know, some of the stuff we see online now art, like all the different you know monkeys and, and cats and dogs and things like that. Um, but again, it's just like this has been probably the first wave of onboarding where people are now starting to understand like the power of NFTs. People are making generational wealth purely based off of the fact that they're just early and they've acquired things that people are obviously putting value on based on supply and demand. So if you know that there's only ever going to be 10,000 pieces of this one unique thing, which is, you know, an art piece in this case, you kind of assign a a value to it. And I think it would work pretty much the same way in the traditional space. Like if I just tell you there's only 10,000 Air Force Ones ever going to be made or whatever, like there's already kind of a a cult there, right? Like you've got sneaker heads, you've got like Pokemon card collectors, you've got these things in real life. I think it's just the media and the false perception and obviously like the amounts of money that are circulating. Um, in terms of crypto, that's a kind of a almost a different story. I think the whole decentralization concept and the tech that's being built is just really exciting because you look at the internet and how far it's gotten us. Now imagine like taking an extra step where like your identity online is going to be essentially owned by no one other than you, right? Like you'll no longer have to give up like your... Because I think this was probably the, the funniest example of talking to someone that doesn't understand the crypto space and like introducing them to it. I remember I was trying to help a, a friend set up a PayPal account and in the process of setting it up, like PayPal asks you for your address, your zip code, your number, your email, your full name. Um, you have to upload your documents, your ID and so on, right? Right. And then they set up the account and then you can start making transactions. And then I had that same exact friend set up a MetaMask wallet, which is essentially how you trade crypto. And literally all it does is like set up your wallet. Here's your secret like phrase that you shouldn't share with anyone. Welcome to MetaMask. Like it's pretty straightforward. And then they just assign you a a wallet address and now you can start making transactions. And it's, it's, it's coming to the light. I think especially with like a lot of the situations which are unfortunate, but like with the war with everything happening between Russia and Ukraine and things like that, like people whose currency has been hit, obviously because of all the sanctions, they went to cryptocurrency because it's decentralized. It's not a government. It's not a bank. It's nothing that's got, you know, any influence. I mean, arguably indirect influence because of the stock market crashing and things like that, but it's not like hyperinflation could change, you know, the amount of, Bitcoin that exists or anything like that. So I think it's really going to be the next step in terms of just financial institutions, in terms of tech, in terms of the Internet, in terms of um, obviously like just our ownership over our data and the assets that we own online. I don't know if you guys are gamers or if you've ever played like video games. That's an area specifically that I'm very passionate about in, in the blockchain industry, because the idea of being able to play FIFA. So let's talk football, right? Like you've played FIFA, you've played Ultimate Team, you've probably spent money like opening packs. Um, Let's say you pulled a Ronaldo card back in like FIFA 2014, for example, right? FIFA 14's Ronaldo is worth nothing in FIFA 22. But if FIFA 14's Ronaldo was an NFT, you probably could have sold it for a lot of money and then use that money again in FIFA 22. Like that excites me because the ability to essentially own assets in games and even like own land in games. Like imagine if you're playing Fortnite and every single time you go to like a certain part of the map, you know that that like part is owned by you and no one else can have that like on the blockchain forever. It's ownership assigned to Millie. So I just think there's a lot of different, you know, areas and and I think we could talk forever about crypto and, and NFTs, but I just think now, especially as someone that maybe doesn't understand it, it's the time to start reading about it because very soon it's going to be the norm and you're going to start realizing like, Oh, I should have picked this up sooner because once the plane tickets become NFTs and once, you know, all the contracts become NFTs and once everything becomes on the blockchain, because that's the best way to transparently verify stuff. Cause right now, like if you, if Millie sends Hams like a hundred quid on the blockchain, I can see it. Like I, I can see it without having to go to the bank and call them and say, Hey, did Millie make any transactions recently? Can I verify that? Like I can see it on the blockchain. So I just think it changes the whole dynamic. And I think the reason why it's getting so much like negative publicity is because people are afraid of change, which is normal. Um, but you just you, like, you have to not be arrogant. You have to not be ignorant and you have to actually like at least get a taste of it and and understand it from a different perspective. One that's not really like, Oh, it's pictures of monkeys. It's stupid. But from one that's like, wow, the tech excites me. Like I don't understand how people can be bearish about technology. Like it's it's literally the entire foundation of everything that we have right now. Zoom, Netflix, Facebook, Instagram, like that's all tech. And if I now told you that tech was going to the next level, how can you then say no, no, no? I want to stay where I am. Like it's just it baffles me sometimes. But yeah, I mean. It's, it's just a, it's a matter of time, I think. Uh, but very soon, I would say, probably in the next like five to ten years, I think it'll become the norm in a lot of different areas. I just read the other day that Instagram is integrating NFTs on, on their platform, uh, starting from the US. So it could be pretty interesting to see how you know, mass adoption happens.
0: Definitely. So it's happening now, isn't it? I think for a general personal person listening to this, it might be hard to wrap your head around Like for me personally, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. I've done a lot of research, a lot of reading and listening. But when you say NFT, so non-fungible tokens, and when you say blockchain, they're concepts which are very hard to grasp. But you're right, like technology is advancing and we should advance with it. Um, And you're right with the plane ticket from the beginning, that could essentially turn into an NFT. And you might not know what that is in this moment but in five ten years time it will become part of us like mobile phones have become part of our hands basically we have them all the time every day but ten years ago that wasn't the case was it so I think it's important that we realize that there is something happening in the technology field and yeah we should move with it and it'll relate to everything it'll relate to sports to business to life in general so yeah really important and i've been dying to touch on this the whole series so thank you for explaining it really well as well omar i have two more questions for you really quickly the first one your definition of success what does success look like to you
2: Hmm. um (laughs) it's a tricky one i would probably say i want to say freedom to be honest Um, I think I would look back on my life and say that that was a success once I reach a certain point where I've achieved a certain level of freedom and it doesn't necessarily only have to mean financial freedom, but I think also just freedom from a lot of kind of the, the hurdles and the burdens of life in general, where it's like, you have to worry about this and that and Oh my God. And I think like once you've reached that state of freedom where you could really just do stuff that you enjoy doing for the sole purpose of enjoying them. um, I think I would, probably reflect on that and say that's success
0: brilliant yeah brilliant we've not I, we've actually not had that before but yeah brilliant answer to be free with yourself um no great stuff final thing what are your three favorite things to do in dubai
2: oh um interesting i like the weather in the winter so i would definitely say going to the desert in the winter time, is probably one of my favorite things, all-time favorite things. If you're ever visiting Dubai or if you live in Dubai, and I mean, that's crazy. If you live in Dubai, you probably went to the desert. But um, that's probably one of my favorite things because it's just like a completely different feel, um, particularly from the city where it's all skyscrapers. And then you go to the desert and it's like empty and quiet and just you and the stars. So that's one. Two is, I'd probably say the food. Like, I think we're just blessed here, especially I remember going back to the UK, and like having to ask is this halal is that halal and like having to try if it even has flavor and things like that i think like we're so spoiled for choice here that you could just pretty much eat anything you want and there's always like a new restaurant opening up so second would definitely be eating and then third mm, that's a tricky one because i have to choose between yeah i mean it's very rare but it's probably one of my favorite things to do ever really uh playing football in the rain to be honest um as little as it rains, I think whenever it does rain, that's like when we all go out and get the ball and and start playing football. Like that's probably one of my favorite things ever because it's just, I think it feels surreal. I don't know what it is. Maybe you guys are used to it because it rains all the time, but over here, maybe it's like that that element of like, you don't really see this much and you feel like it's almost like magic, right? Like it's just raining and you're playing football and you're just having fun. And, you know, the slide tackles are a lot more fun then. So um, probably those three things.
0: Football in the rain is great. I love it. It's the best feeling, definitely. But you know what? When it rains in Dubai, it rains. It really, really rains, doesn't it? I mean, it just pours down. That desert rain, I guess. It was literally. Oh. You had
1: the saying right there: "When it rains, it pours in Dubai." Literally, that would have been the, the actual tagline as well. Because you did it then, for <laughs> me. Yeah, that's okay. That's what we're here for at, at the end of the day, which is good stuff. But no, Omar, thank you very much for going through your three things that you really enjoy about dubai as well um next time when we're in dubai we will have a part two to this podcast because this was just fantastic and it felt like our own little ted talk didn't it me the fact we got to learn so much from so many different elements of business entrepreneurs uh, entrepreneurship as well um and life in general i thought it was fantastic and um omar if you do go on any more podcasts you may have to start charging people for the amount of free knowledge you're giving out to them um, to them as well, which which is great fun to listen to. <laughs> nah, as well. it's
2: it's it's value first. That that's that's the name of the game, right?
1: Definitely, definitely is the name of the game. But Mili, um, I'll let you close out the podcast. But before we leave, I just wanted to thank Omar very much for your time today, and I just wanted to say, if there is anyone else out here listening and they're a fellow businessman or they're trying to become financially free or just free um, from all the stresses of life as well, I really do hope that you take some of Omar's advice. This genuine advice. Um, on board and see what we can do going ahead in the future as well but Millie um, the the floor is yours to close out the episode for this one so I'll leave you to it
0: yeah no brilliant stuff Omar honestly it's been really good for us to learn from you and we've enjoyed you we've enjoyed speaking to you we've enjoyed all the topics you've brought to us because like we said at the beginning we don't usually speak about these kinds of things so yeah it's been brilliant last two things really quickly where can we find you omar if somebody's listening to this and they want to go and find you they want to see what you're up to where can we find you
2: oh well um probably twitter might be the easiest way to get in touch really i would say linkedin but it's always like spammy these days um so probably go to twitter just omar 77 i tried to go with just one seven for ronaldo but it was taken um but yeah just omar 77 on twitter I sent
1: a LinkedIn request so hopefully you don't think it's just another random guy so hopefully you'll recognize me from my face (laughs) that's one LinkedIn request you can accept so it's not just spam
2: gotcha done
0: (laughs) second thing just to finish Omar we like to ask our guests when they come on do you know of anyone else that you would recommend to come on to our podcast is there anyone else you have in mind for us
2: Oof, I probably know a couple, to be honest. It just depends on what topic you want to you wanna talk about. Um, Because, I mean, because of the nature of all the stuff that I do, I've just got, like, such a weird, random network that if you ask me for, like, someone that works in car insurance, I could probably find you someone. But if you ask me for someone in crypto and blockchain, I could too. I think I might have someone in mind, though, um, for the next episode. Am I supposed to, like, give it away? Or do you, like, make it a surprise for the show?
1: Surprise it. Oh. Yeah, we'll surprise it. We'll surprise okay. it we'll surprise it we'll surprise it because there'll be so much that we can we can learn from mm-hmm. as well and we can have it, we can take a pick at the amazing network that omar's already built up as well so that'll be really good fun as well and i'll give our listeners some surprise as well for the next time we get um another guest on that is non-sporty which is really really good um but yeah millie thank you very much for your time today it's been excellent to learn more from another surprise guest that you've given us which has been great as well and basically the surprise was basically getting to chat to Omar and to learn from him and to really understand the thought process of how a young entrepreneur, who again is, is someone who is, isn't a resident of Dubai, he has to um, do things differently. Again, learning in English school in a different country. I thought, like even those things that, People think it are a standard. They're still crazy to me that people have to learn multiple languages and they have to think in different languages. as Well, the one percent you mentioned earlier, Omar, about the fact that it meant it meant so much to you as well, just on a personal level, I thought that was fantastic. So, Omar, thank you very much for your time today. Millie, the floor is yours to close it
0: out. Just again from me, quickly. Thank you, Omar. Um, It's been great, and yeah, just to reiterate what Hamza said. um, Brilliant to have you on, and. Good luck with everything in the future. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode. Please find us at our Instagram at thebeautifulmindgame and you can also find us on Friday Night Counterattack as well. So please share if you like this episode and we'll see you next time. Thank you everyone and goodbye.
1: Goodbye.